Hello and a big welcome back to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, your online go-to where you can shop, learn and explore the world of Korean skincare. And of course, your guide here on the ground in Korea to let you know what is happening, what's trending, what people are talking about, and all the little tips and tricks that you might miss if you're just scrolling through your Instagram feed and seeing what other people are posting in English about K-beauty. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of, you know, obviously I'm, I'm on the gram, I'm on socials, I see what people are posting, I see what they're talking about. And at the moment in particular, when it comes to Korean beauty, I'm just seeing the same stuff again and again and again. And I think it's because a lot of people are getting the same PR send outs from the same big companies, the same brands. Uh, and so it's all just looking very, very samey, samey. Uh, but of course, there's what's going on and what is being sold and talked about and trending overseas. And then there is what is actually going on here here in Korea. And increasingly, they are becoming more and more divergent. Uh, the products that people are talking about overseas have so little to do with the products that people are talking about here. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I, I'm not a purist. I don't believe that, you know, for example, it has to be trending here for people to like it overseas. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I see sometimes people talking about, oh, fake K-beauty products, like, oh, they're not really Korean. And I don't subscribe to that, that line of thinking either. I don't think that just because a brand has a bigger following overseas that that doesn't make it Korean. I don't think that just because a brand is specifically targeting the foreign market that that makes it dodgy in any way. I mean, my own brand uh, because of all the legal loopholes here in Korea. We actually can't sell it in Korea. Uh, that is because of some new laws that were brought in a couple of years ago that basically require you to have a person that has a particular type of degree here in Korea and some certain qualifications that, in my opinion, have nothing to do with being a beauty brand, that have nothing to do with your ability, knowledge, expertise, skill to actually distribute and sell and manufacture and make products here in Korea, but it was introduced, uh, you know, a few years back and it makes it very, very difficult for a lot of small brands to sell their products here in Korea because you essentially need to hire this person that has the relevant skills, uh, pay them a salary, even if you don't have anything for them to do because the skills and, and whatnot that they're required to have are not, they don't really necessarily line up with anything that a small company would need done. Uh, uh, and that change to the law came about uh, largely because the bigger beauty companies were pushing for it because they saw how many people were entering the market and they were trying to make it a little bit trickier for indie beauty brands to get started. That's my personal opinion about how that, that law came to be. But there are a whole lot of reasons why brands may not sell in Korea. They may have a preference for you know selling overseas. And I don't think that that is a problem at all. I think that there are lots of really good brands doing really good things overseas, but sometimes it is nice to sort of keep in touch with what's actually going on here, particularly when it comes to a lot of the trends that people talk about. And, you know, I've said this over and over again, that like 
things like the snail mucin trend, things like glass skin, that is just not a K-beauty concept that is talked about a lot over here at the moment anymore. But it is really popular overseas and that is something that people talk about. I don't have a problem with that. The, I think I have more of a problem when people phrase it in terms of this is what everyone in Korea is doing and it's just not. Like it's fine to say it has K-beauty origins and that that's where the trend started, but if people are talking about like what's trending in Korea circa now, September 2022, and they're talking about glass skin, they're just wrong. Like that's not a thing anymore that people are talking about. So anyway, that was a very, very long-winded introduction to get into the K-beauty news headlines, but I've just had some of this stuff on my mind at the moment as I'm sort of mindlessly scrolling through my feed and seeing things and, you know, seeing what people are talking about. Uh, so look, that's my two cents, 10 cents for whatever it's worth. Uh, let's have a look at the headlines. And the first one was that Dialba Piedemont's White Truffle First Spray Serum has been topping the rankings in the mist category for the last five weeks. And the relevant app where these rankings were taking place was Huahe, which is a beauty app here in Korea, and it basically allows customers to rank products, give recommendations, and then you can shop off the basis of that. So they've got about 6 million cosmetic reviews, uh, and you know, it is a widely used app. So Dialba's uh, Mist Serum has been so so popular they've now recorded 15 million bottles of accumulated sales it's been reviewed over a hundred thousand times so this is a very very popular product uh, it's also popular in Australia we were actually style story was the first uh, company we discovered Dialba at the K Beauty Expo years ago way before they got really big uh, when they didn't really have very many products so we were actually the first people in Australia to start stocking it uh, and it is so, so popular. Their whole collection, their beautiful products, uh, but they have been topping the chart, uh, charts on Huahe. And as I was reading this, something came to my mind and I remember someone saying a little while ago, maybe a year or two ago, and they were talking about you know, a, a brand potentially being a fake K-beauty brand, again, this term that, you know, it's not a real brand because it's not popular in the Korean market. Uh, and what they were saying was, no, I checked on Huahe and it has hardly any reviews on Huahe. So that means that it is a fake K-beauty brand. Now, this is what I will say about Huahe. It is a good resource and you will definitely see that some products have way, way more reviews than the others. But not all brands, even if they are only sold or mainly sold here in Korea, are as accessible as all the other brands. And what do I mean by that? There are so many brands. There are literally tens of thousands of K-beauty brands. Not all of them are sold offline. Some of them are sold via uh, home shopping. A lot of the big popular brands started out as home shopping brands. Dialba was one of them. Now, Dialba is actually pretty easy to get your hands on offline here in Korea just because of how well the brand is doing. But the vast, vast majority of K-beauty brands or brands that manufacture in Korea are not sold at offline stores. They are sold D to C is what we call it, direct to consumer. And that has an impact then on apps like Huahe because 
if you think about how you buy products and how you review products, if you had come onto, say, Style Story and purchased one of our products, where would you be the most likely to leave the review for that product? Probably on our own site because we have a whole review functionality up there. You can get points that you can credit towards your next order for reviewing products. Like it just makes sense to leave it there. And a lot of the D2C brands in Korea are the same. You're not necessarily going to go and log on to a whole nother app like Huahe and leave a review there when you've already left a review on the seller's website, on the brand's website. So I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about like Huahe in general. I actually think they tend to get far more reviews for products that are sold offline because if you're buying offline from an offline store, you haven't necessarily left your review for the product you know, obviously you didn't just write it down and leave it in the store and walk out. So you're probably more inclined then if you have strong views about the product either way to go on to something like Huahe and leave a review there. So don't be fooled into thinking that just because a product has heaps of reviews on Huahe that it's, you know, the best product ever, that it's the best selling thing in Korea. Maybe it is, or maybe it is just a more widely distributed product. And it's the same in your country. If you think about if you walk into like Ulta Beauty, if you walk into Sephora, Mecca in Australia, um, Priceline, I don't know, all of these kind of places, it's not that the products there are better than other products necessarily. I mean, maybe there are some awesome products there, but it's just that they're more widely distributed. So they have distribution. It's not just the brand selling the product at the brand store. You can buy that product in a whole heap of different places. Naturally, products that are easier for people to pick up are going to be more reviewed because they're easier for people to get their hands on. Whereas, oh God, sorry. That was a giant frog in my a frog in my throat. Products that are only available from one source or directly from the brand, they are naturally not going to have the same reach as products that are literally you can pick them up anywhere you go. So that's all I really wanted to say about Huahe. I've seen that before and people sort of saying, oh, look, if it's not on Huahe, it's fake K-beauty. That's just not really how it works. Uh, so take all of the rankings and ratings on Huahe with a grain of salt, but like it's not a bad place to start. That's probably where I'm going to land with this. So look, <clears throat> that was Dialba, that was Huahe. The next thing is, this is a follow-up. A couple of weeks ago, I was discussing that people are coming out and calling for changes and revisions to Korea's Functional Cosmetics Act. Uh, And the reason that people were complaining about it is because they're saying, you know, Korea is the only country in the world that uses this system. Everyone else regulates cosmetics either as drugs or therapeutic goods or basic skincare. And we've got this whole other really complicated process for bringing functional cosmetics in inverted commas to the market. So what has been going on since then is that the Ministry of Food and Drug Safety has actually launched a consultation group where they are discussing this in depth uh, and they're collecting opinions on policies and discussing like how they could actually change this, what the changes might look like. Uh, and they've held multiple closed door discussions as well. So if you're not familiar with this, basically functional cosmetics, it's this 
extra category that Korea has created for products that include things like UV, so your sunscreens, wrinkle improvement, whitening, a hair dye, hair removal, hair loss, ac- acne skin relief, uh, Uh, like red red marks, stretch marks, all of those kind of things. Uh, And so they've just kept adding to the categories of products that fall into this functional cosmetic uh, category. And the companies are complaining about it because they're saying it's just too much. You've got to get approval from the state. You've got to verify that the products work. You've got to do tests on actual humans to verify the various functions. And it's a burden on the companies. And they're saying that, you know, other countries like the US, like the EU, they evaluate cosmetics in terms of risks. And then as long as the raw materials in the products are considered to be low risk, whatever products then do well in the market is dictated by the market. So for example, as long as they contain safe ingredients and they're just regular skincare products, not drugs, consumers are left to decide, well, does it really do what it says on the tin rather than the company upfront having to go out, run all these tests and say, yes, it actually works. So, you know, Korea puts the burden on the companies to prove all of that first before they release the product to market. Whereas in other countries, basically, products will fall or rise based on whether consumers think that they're doing a good job on their skin. So that's the crux of the debate. And they are basically saying, the companies in Korea, we need to put an end to this and just trust that consumers will, you know, pick the products that they think actually work. Uh, And interestingly enough, apparently one of the reasons that this section of the functional, this section of cosmetic regulation in Korea sort of came up was to increase the barrier of entry for foreign products. Uh, So that sounds so, I would 100% believe that just having lived here, the barrier to entry for anything foreign in this country is just next level. Like, It's so crazy. It's actually bad for the Korean economy in many ways, I think, because it makes them less competitive. You don't become more competitive in any area of life by just, you know, blocking anything foreign, blocking external things. But that is very much the Korean way from everything to like immigration to product regulation. So that was why it was put in place more than 20 years ago. But the it's kind of having the reverse effect now because it's stopping companies from keeping up with the latest technologies because they're spending so much time, effort and energy trying to get all of these functional cosmetic certifications. Uh, So there you go. It looks like they are actually taking that seriously. In terms of what will become of it, not sure yet. I will keep you up to date, but that was in the news headlines this week. Now, the next thing that caught my radar was that there are increasing calls for Korea to reduce its plastic waste consumption. Uh, And obviously, cosmetics are a key part in that just because of how many cosmetics are being produced here. Now, here is a really wild statistic for you guys that Korea, the amount of plastic used by Koreans is the highest in the world, but... In terms of consumption of plastic, there is one country, according to Euromap, that does even more than Korea. And this shocked me. I don't know if you guys will be able to guess it, but the country 
at number one is Belgium. So I'm not sure what is going on over there that they're using so much plastic. I don't know if that's there's something that they're making in Belgium. I don't know. You guys will have to let me know. I've never heard of Belgium being a particularly high plastic producing or using country, but apparently it is. So Korea has been doing a lot of things to, you know, try and tackle this issue of plastic waste. Uh, Colmar Korea, which is one of the larger manufacturers here, has been working on plans to commercialize their cosmetic containers that are based on recycled materials. So that is recycled polyethylene or RPE. Uh, and basically they've, they've signed up, uh, teamed up with another company here in Korea to commercialize eco-friendly cosmetics containers. Their goal is to replace 50% of the cosmetic tubes that Colmar produces with eco-friendly materials by 2030. And then also obviously to increase the supply of eco-friendly packaging containers to global cosmetics companies as well. Uh, so, you know, even still like 2030 is not that close. So this is all still a big work in progress, uh, but this is emerging as one of of the key areas for companies in terms of developing eco-friendly containers, things that are biodegradable. Uh, Cosmeca Korea and Green Bio are also looking into developing these kind of containers as well. Uh, they signed a ceremony recently in Pangyo here in Korea to announce their plan. Uh, so they are looking at things that they can do to uh, basically you know, there's a, there are some issues with using uh, recycled materials. Some of them are not as durable as others. Some of them have low heat resistance. So they're looking into what they, they can do to actually improve that. Uh, and then there's another uh, company here on the ground in Korea called Refilly, and they provide solutions for a whole lot of products, not just cosmetics, but household items as well, uh, including to B2B to produce a whole of products that companies can sell in terms of the eco-friendliness. So there was a lot of companies mentioned uh, in the headlines, but that is uh, something I'm hearing more and more about that I'm seeing more and more of. But unfortunately, I think because of the limitations in the technology and the costs involved, it is a bit of a more medium term plan. I mean, eight years away, seven and a half. I mean, gosh, we're nearly at the end of the year, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year. But I think in the next 10 years, for sure, we should start seeing more and more of this. That can only be a good thing. Uh, so that was rounding out our K-Beauty news headlines for this week. Now to jump over to our question of the week. And this question actually came through from one of my Instagram followers. And she was asking, should I invest in an at-home LED mask? Uh, and I'm, uh, these are becoming more and more popular. You've probably seen them pop up. They look very like robotic and you sort of, you know, pop them on your face and sit down and chill out and your skin apparently is transformed in the meantime. So look, I've used products like this, not the mask products. I used probably even an earlier prototype. It was a product called the Baby Kesar, I think. Uh, and it, it was a handheld device that worked similarly, an LED light. I had a blue one for the acne and a red one for, you know, wrinkles, collagen and all of that. This would have been a few years ago now. This would have been maybe seven years ago uh, before they had all of these sort of handheld masks. But anyway, what we're talking about here, if you're 
not 100% sure what these things are supposed to do. So LED stands for light emitting diode. It was a therapy developed by NASA in the early 90s. Uh, and basically they were looking for things that would boost astronauts wound healing. So the idea is that the light wavelengths can go deep into the body tissue where the collagen synthesis happens and promote growth of the tissue. And since then, it has shown really good side effects for pain relief and things like that in patients with uh, chemo that are going through chemo. They're going through radiation. Obviously, the cosmetic doctors jumped onto it and they've been using it for lots of different things, targeting sun damage, hyperpigmentation, scarring, rosacea, all of those types of things. Now, here in Korea, this is a very, very popular thing to do in clinic, but what you will notice is if you go to a clinic to do this kind of thing, it is rarely used as the full treatment. It is used at the end of another treatment. So if you go in there to get your acne scars lasered off, for example, at the end of the treatment, they might pop you under the LED mask for like 20 minutes. They call it chesang quality here, which is like, you know, regenerative, restorative um you know, management, treatment, that kind of thing. And, you know, it really is an afterthought of uh, a treatment, if you ask me, in terms of like, it's not the main course. It is, you know, the dessert afterwards. It's kind of like, you know, if you ran out of time to do it, they'd probably just send you home without it. When it comes to the at-home treatments, uh, they there is rarely the same amount of data behind those products as the machines that are used in office, and that's because they're not subjected to the same amount of tests. Often you will see that they have been uh, tested for safety. So, you know, they're certified safe or whatnot, but safety and efficacy is not the same thing. So just because you're saying it's safe to use doesn't mean that it actually does anything. The other thing that you will notice with a lot of these devices is some of them recommend that they're used for like 30 to 60 minutes twice a day, four to five times a week. So that is a serious investment of time. I don't know about you guys, but I do not have 60 minutes twice a day to sit down and put one of these things on my face. Even if the results were literally mind boggling, mind blowing, I do not have that kind of time. Like, if you're talking about going and getting something else done in, you know, a doctor's office once every four months, six months or something like that, that is going to be a better use of your time in most cases than sitting down with one of these things on your face for two hours a day. Uh, so I just don't think that they are worth your time. And, you know, even though I'm aware that some of them aren't that expensive, I think that if you're picking one of these up for 70 or 80 bucks, the chances that it's going to do anything are like so slim to none. I think this is basically a bit of a cash grab on behalf of the companies. I would just avoid it. I don't think there's probably anything wrong with using them in terms of them being dangerous. I know some of them were recalled a few years ago for issues with the eyes, but a lot of them have cutouts of the eyes. I just think they're probably likely to be fairly useless. And if you have that kind of time on your hands, you know, maybe just save it all up, save the money and go and see a specialist for something that's actually proven to do something. Now, if your doctor, while you're in there for a treatment, popped you under an LED light while you were there, no harm, no foul. But the, there's 
obviously going to be a huge difference between what the what the uh, machinery in a clinic can do compared to what the at-home stuff can do. Even if you look at the price of them, it is very, very obvious that that is not the same technology. Like those machines run into the tens of thousands of dollars for the clinical ones, as opposed to the at-home ones, which I seem to see on sale quite regularly for under a hundred bucks. Like we're comparing apples and oranges here. It's not the same thing. So just because, you know, uh, dermatologists, plastic surgeons are using them, um, hospitals are using them, that's not the same thing as going out and buying one. I just think, you know what, if you want to do it and, you, and that makes you feel better, go for gold. But I think if you're a bit time poor, that is not how I would be investing my time in my skincare routine. That's just me. You do you. I hope that answers your question. I hope you've picked up something maybe you didn't realize or didn't know that that's just my personal opinion. But no, I don't bother. I actually, the device that I did have, I ended up giving it to my mom just because I never really saw any results from it. Not on my acne, not on wrinkles or anything like that. Uh, I mean, fair enough. When I was using it, I was probably a little bit early on for wrinkles and whatnot, but I didn't see any real results from using it. I thought it was, it made me feel better at the time, but I don't think that it did anything. So that's my personal experience, my personal recommendation. Uh, so yeah, I hope that was helpful. Now onto the Style Story website where we have some new K-Beauty launches. Now the new launches I have for you this week were actually requested ones from Dr. Suricle. So they recently released some new vegan kombucha products. They've got an essence and also a gel cream. Uh, and of course they are jumping onto this trend of vegan cosmetics here in Korean, uh, uh, Korea and both of these are vegan. So when it comes to kombucha, it is uh, a probiotic and it also contains vitamin B, which is good for boosting your skin's immunity. So I think these are both really nice products that are using slightly different ingredients than other products on the market. The other thing they're using is Camellia sinensis leaf water. Uh, in both of them actually at quite high percentages and that is obviously very, very great for the skin. Uh, green tea leaf water, it's nutritious, it's got vitamins, it's got the tannin from tea in it, the amino acids, all of those things which can be really, really good to help care for your skin. So go and check them out. They've been quite popular. Uh, people that have tried them seem to really enjoy them uh, and they're just doing something a little bit different. I've always had a lot of time for Dr. Suricle as a brand. Uh, their tea tree relief line was one of my favorites. Their propolis ample was also a beauty of a product. Uh, it's still around of course but I think they have probably not been as talked about as hyped in the last maybe five years and this collection has people quite excited. So go and check that out if you are after some new products in your routine. And as usual, we've had a bevy of K-Beauty reviews left on the website. So I have picked out a couple. The first one was for our Dewy Glaze Toner, Jellico's Dewy Glaze Toner, a five-star review. And our reviewer said, the best toner I have ever used. I'm so impressed with the consistency, smell, and most importantly, 
importantly, how it makes my skin feel. It is a must-have and quickly gets used up in the house. Very happy to recommend. So thank you for your review. We had another review come through for our Testers Club product, the 23 years old aqua modeling mask that says, does the job. Very easy to make. You mix sachet one and sachet two together. The product doesn't come with a bowl, but it does have four sets of the mask and even a wooden stick. I didn't expect the stick and was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually really funny because another one of the reviewers was actually pleasantly unsurprised that it didn't come with a bowl. So there you go. Some, per- some One of our reviewers was happy that it had a wooden stick and then someone else was like, oh, I can't believe it didn't have a bowl. I had to use my own bowl. It doesn't come with a bowl, guys. You do have to use your own bowl to make the mask up. Um, so just a... Uh, uh, I guess FYI if you were expecting the product to come with a bowl modeling masks some do some don't uh, but you know they are plastic if we're trying to reduce plastic waste I think probably not having a bowl might be better anyway I digress back to the actual review our reviewer said the mask has a cooling effect when you put it on no burning sensation it was a really nice feeling after 20 minutes I peeled the mask off next time I'll make my mask layer a bit thicker and more consistent so it can come off in one piece. Remember to massage in the essence as well. After you peel the mask off, my skin feels really hydrated afterwards. Great tips, great advice. Uh, And yeah, thicker is definitely the better way to go. Otherwise, they can be a little bit um, just fiddly to to get off. So thank you for such a thorough review. That was great. Uh, Our next review was for Subi's Bare Skin Balm. Beautiful on my dry skin and for cleansing. This beautiful balm is amazing. I used it on a dry patch of skin that I had and just left it on overnight and the dry patch disappeared. I find that it also cleanses the skin so beautifully that I don't need to double cleanse. This is a definite repurchase for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I've never heard of people leaving it on overnight, but there you go. If it works, it works. Uh, The last one was for Bubble Tea Steam Cream. And this reviewer said, second time purchasing this product and I absolutely love it. Glides on easily, keeps my face hydrated all night, works as a great base for makeup during the day. Absolutely love. So thank you to everyone who left their review. I'll also quickly share one of the reviews we had for the podcast itself. Uh, Our lovely reviewer Elise said, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She said, love tuning in for Lauren's insights every week. I'm always learning something new, super informative and entertaining. Great variety of content. Definitely recommend. Thank you very much. Uh, And I have a little update for you on the podcast front. I have set up, look, if, you, if you've been listening to it like on, your, um, on one of your feeds for ages, this might not be relevant, but in case you are a fan of YouTube and you like listening to things on YouTube, what we've been doing is going back and putting up the, all the previous episodes of the podcast onto YouTube. So we've got a little YouTube channel. Unfortunately, there's no video because I just didn't record video when I was doing them. So it's just the same kind of thing, me talking along uh, with, you know, just a, a pretty picture <laughs> up on the screen. But if you do regularly consume content on YouTube, you can go and follow us, go and give us a few likes. Uh, that's going to be a bit of a 
work in progress because it's a lot of work to get them all up because we've got so many in the backlog. But at the moment, we're somewhere back in 2020. Um, I am just having a big old chuckle to myself as I listen back to some of the earlier episodes. They are quite full-on, quite hilariously awkward, a lot of them. Uh, I think, you know, when I first started, I think I used to get a lot more, I don't know, worried about, you know, running out of things to say or whatnot. So I'd kind of read off the first part of it, whereas I don't really bother doing that anymore. I just kind of talk. So when I'm listening back to them, I'm like, oh, gosh, you were trying so hard. Uh, I think I think the content is mainly fine, but it's just it comes across a little bit, a little bit strong, a little bit intense, perhaps. Um, so if you do make it all the way back to the earlier ones, forgive me. Uh, it was a while ago. Hey, everyone, you uh, you would hope that you're not as not as bad at something that you've been doing for a couple of years. So hopefully they're getting better as they come along. But Oh boy, that's that's been a little bit of fun, putting them up on YouTube. But go and check them out if you are a YouTuber. If you like hanging out over on YouTube, we'll have them there. Now, I will finish off today's episode with our recommendation of the week. Now, this one is a little bit of a soul-centric one, but if you're not in soul, just know that one day you can come along and explore these as well really good news for my fellow soulites and that is that the moonlight night market are are back so a few years ago soul used to do the dokkebi yashijang which is like um i think they were calling it like the, the english translation might even be like the goblins night market i think they're just translating it in english to moonlight night market instead but it's basically a really fun thing by the han river They've got about 39 food trucks. They've got a whole bunch of different merchants that will be there right by the river with the river in the background. Lots of food, handicraft stuff. Um, They've got some experiential things that they will be doing. So that is back from the 26th of August to the 24th of September. They haven't done it for the last few years because of a certain virus that shall not be named. Uh, But it's back. I'm super excited. I'm definitely planning to go and hang out there and have some street food from the food trucks. Uh, And it, it is usually held at this time of year. So this is actually a really nice time of the year if people are thinking about planning a trip to Korea. Back in the day, I'm not sure when they'll start doing it again, but we also had the Yoido River Fireworks Festival as well around September, October. So this is a good time of the year weather-wise, which is why a lot of these kind of outdoorsy things tend to to be held around this time of the year. So just keep that in mind if you are planning your trip to Korea, to Seoul in particular. This is a great time. We've got lots of fun things. The river is where it's at at this time of the year just because it gets too cold in winter to really hang out down there. And during the heat of summer, it's also just like a furnace. So once the temperature cools down a bit, people do tend to head back towards the river. And that time is now. So look... Hopefully you have enjoyed today's episode. I hope you learned something new. That is always my goal is to tell you something that you didn't already know, potentially. I mean, if you did, then then cool, cool. Um, sorry about that and better luck. I'll try again next time. Uh, I will be back in your ears on Thursday, though. 
Uh, and I have a few little tips up my sleeve for people who are into masking. So stick around if you love yourself a little bit of a face mask. Uh, that is what we will be talking about on the show. And until then, I will see you on Style Story. Style Story. 